Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist West Memphis. We're so happy you've chosen to listen, and we pray that you'll be blessed by this message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you now to join me in the Gospel of, uh, Gospel of John in chapter 1. The Gospel of John in chapter 1. My prayer is that over the next few weeks, your Bible kind of develops a pattern of just opening here in the Gospel of John. What a great book that we're going to study together for some time, and I'm uh, very excited about it. The title of my sermon today is, What an Introduction. Now, I know you may not be able to tell just by looking at me, but I'm not much of an athlete. I'm, amen. Well, you got to get it somewhere, brother. You got to get it somewhere. I'm not much of an athlete, never have been one, don't have the hand-eye coordination for it. You know this. I've shared this with you a million times. And really, I didn't become a sports fan until a little bit later on in my teenage years. But as a child, even though I wasn't a sports fan, there was one athlete who everyone in my grade and everyone in my elementary school could tell you was the greatest athlete of all time. Without doubt, this one we would have all said we were a fan of. He was the penultimate athlete. You may know him as the number 23, Michael Jordan. He led the, what, the 96 Bulls, what is considered to be one of the best in the top 10 NBA uh, teams in, in all of NBA history. He is just the greatest. But one of the things that captivated me about the Chicago Bulls was how they began their game each and every time they played. When they were at home in the United Center uh, arena, they would begin to announce the, the game. The announcer would come over the uh, the microphone, and you could hear the roar of the crowd just talking back and forth with one another. He would welcome everyone to the arena, and then he would say that the Bulls are playing uh, whatever away team, and then he would introduce the team. Now, when the announcer introduced the team, there was no music. There was no light show. There was no enthusiasm. There was no inflection in his voice. The crowd did not stop what they were doing, talking to one another, unless they occasionally booed a, really, a player that they really, really wanted to get into their head. But whenever they announced the coach of the away team and they prepared the, to announce the home team, the starting lineup, the lights went off in the arena and music began to play and you could hear the crowd began to get excited. At center court, a laser show would highlight the logo of the Chicago Bulls there at midcourt and the music would begin to build up and then the announcer, announcer would announce and now the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls and the arena erupted. You did not think that it was possible to get any louder. At forward from central Arkansas, 6'7", Scotty Pippen. A 6'8", forward out of southeast Oklahoma State, Dennis Rodman. The man in the middle from New Mexico, 7'2", Luke Longley. A 6'6", guard from Miami, Ohio, Ron Harper. And then the crowd was going. You could hear the announcer say this. From North Carolina and the, you could not even hear 
the announcer echo out the next words as the Michael Jordan took the court. Everyone was going ecstatic. It was amazing just to watch on TV. And as, we, as I was watching YouTube in preparation for this, looking at this, you still could hardly hear the announcer announce the name of Michael Jordan. People were so ecstatic. The announcement of this team I consider to be one of the greatest introductions in our modern era. But one introduction really really competes with it. One introduction dwarfs this by comparison. And it's the introduction that we read today in John chapter 1 in verses 1 through 5 of the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, join me now in John chapter 1 in verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you pray with me? Lord, please now preach the power of your gospel through this weak preacher. Speak to your people as only you can, and I won't take any credit. Do a great work, please, today. I beg, in the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. You know, unlike Matthew and Luke, the Gospel of John will not include a narrative of the birth of Jesus. We will not read genealogies in the Gospel of John. We will not read the story of Gabriel coming and giving the message of the good news to Mary or interrupting uh, Joseph. We will not hear uh, the story of the wise men. We will not hear the stories of Herod. Rather, the Holy Spirit will inspire John to go back much further than these events, all the way back to the beginning. Now remember, the purpose of the Gospel of John is not to give us a biography of Jesus, but rather as we learned last week in John chapter 20 and verse 31, the Holy Spirit prompted John to write down this Gospel so that his people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. There are lots of things that we can glean from our passage today, but I want you to notice with me four very beautiful characteristics of Jesus in this introduction. Number one, I want you to see his title. In verse one, we can read the title of Jesus. As Jesus is being called center court here for everyone to see, to be introduced to the world, we read his title. In the beginning was the Word. A very unique title given to Jesus, the word logos, known around in Greek culture and Greek scholars as being a very important concept, known by the Hebrews as being a very important godly concept. Here we're introduced to this title that expresses that Jesus is the very word of God. When we read the word here, it means that Jesus is God's very expression. It's, he is his very essence. Jesus is the Word of God. And our minds are inevitably drawn back to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. 
It's as if the Holy Spirit is reminding us, I began a story that I'm not through with yet. For you see, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of creation, the story of Moses and of Noah and of King David and, and of the story of David and Goliath, and all, these are not separate stories, but rather one story woven together. And we are about to meet the main character. We are about to meet the, the, uh, the, the fix for everything that has gone wrong in our world. We are about to meet him. And that's why John says here, in the beginning was, the word. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3 records the beginning of our story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Oh, isn't that wonderful? The very first words recorded by our God, the very first words that you can put quotation marks around, his first words to mankind, to the entire creation that he's about to create is this, let there be light. What does that speak of about his character? It means that God's desire is to bring order to creation. God's desire is to bring light so that his people will not be stumbling in darkness. The very nature of God is to shine light and to bring salvation. And just as we begin this story in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible will say in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the very Word of God. This title, when applied to Jesus, brings our understanding is that Jesus is God's final and ultimate communication of truth about himself. I was speaking to a good friend this past week who we disagree on uh, several uh, religious issues and we were talking and, and he said, Josh, if you just open your mind and if you would just uh, ask the Spirit of God to reveal this to you, just to speak to you. Josh, has God spoken to you? I said, yes, yes. He's spoken finally and definitively through his son Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, you don't need all these extra things that people want to batter around as saying that they are better than Jesus. You have the real deal. Jesus is the Word of God. To look at Jesus is to see the exact uh, nature of our God, the Father, his, his Father. Jesus is God. It also says, when, when, when we say that Jesus is the Word, it speaks of of God's revelation. Jesus is God's revelation to us. If it weren't for God taking the initiative, you and I would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Actually, if it weren't for God taking the initiative, you and I would not be here. It was God's initiative that began this whole thing in the first place. It's God's grace that's prompted any salvation to any of us. Jesus is God's revelation to us. In the Bible, God speaks very highly to us about his word. Psalm 138 and verse 2, David says this, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And your word. Jesus is the word of God. Now, of course, here in the book of Psalms, we are, when he says the word, he is speaking of scripture. 
He's speaking of this Bible that we can look to and we can see the very nature of God. We come to the New Testament explicitly. We can see the nature of our God through his son, Jesus Christ. God values his word and has high regard for his word. Psalm 30 in verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You see, Jesus is the word. He's not a word. He's not uh, just an expression of what God might be like. And there are other prophets. And then we can look at nature and see things about God that are true. While we can look at nature and see things about God that are true, we look and look to Jesus and we can see the very nature of God. Why? Because you learn about me from my words. Now, I know that inevitably this next week you're going to, or in the coming week after that, you're going to be... Uh, uh, talking to your spouse or to a friend, and perhaps you're going to lose your temper, and you're going to say something, and then, and then later you're going to come back and apologize, and you're going to say, I'm sorry, that wasn't me. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That's us. And you just reveal a little bit more about yourself, and welcome to the camp. We're all in, we're all in that same camp. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. We're all in need of the continual grace of Jesus. But you see, we let people know who we are by our words. There's not a, a hidden man inside that people, when you say things, people can know everything they need to know about you by the things that you say. And so we understand who God is by looking at Jesus because Jesus is the very word of God. That's his title that's given to him. It's his very nature. He is the word of God. But look with me. And we'll see secondly in verses 1 through 2 that not only do we see his title, but we see his eternal nature. His eternal nature. In verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is eternal. He has always existed. He will always exist. There has never been a time in history and prehistory that Jesus has not existed. Now, Jesus has a date that he entered this earth. He has a birth date that we just happen to celebrate on December 25th, which may or may not actually be his birthday. But he has a date that he entered this earth. But that does not mean that Jesus came into existence that day. No, friends, Jesus has always existed. Now, you know what you're saying, Josh, why do we need to know this? We're not in a seminary class. Well, just hold on with me just a little bit longer, and we're going to get to that. You and I cannot say the same thing, by the way. Uh, we, we can't say the same thing about not having a beginning and, a, and an end. There are some people, even amongst evangelical circles, even amongst Southern Baptists at times, that would give the illusion that we've existed before we were born. That's not the case. There's coming a day when we will draw our last breath on this earth. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you've repented and given your life to him, then the Bible says that when you take that last breath here, you will be with him forever and ever in a place called heaven where there is peace and joy, where you'll be in a perfect place. But there's coming a day for everyone in this room who does not call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, who does not believe in him, that when you take your last breath, you will live forever and ever in death in a place 
a very real place called hell. You see, we have a beginning, and we kind of have an end, really. Each and every one of us, even though we die, we're going to spend an eternity somewhere. But Jesus has always existed and will always exist. Jesus says in John chapter 8, in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He says these same words in the Garden of Gethsemane. Many years later, with the swords drawn around him, Jesus will speak to the group that's coming to arrest him and take him to Jerusalem to the cross. And he will look to them and he will tell them two words that will shake them and cause them to fall to the ground. In the Greek, these words are ego ami, I am. And the Bible says that those trained soldiers who came to arrest Jesus, when he said, I am, they fell to the ground. You know why? When he said, I am, he wasn't just telling, I am so-and-so. He says, that's my name. I am. Just like Moses in front of the burning bush when he called out to the bush and he says to God, he says, God, I know you're telling me to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but who should I tell them? is calling me. What is your name? And God cries out, I am that I am. Not I was, not I will be, not I'm in process, not I'm figuring it out. No, I am. And Jesus here being drawn to center court for all of mankind to see in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5 is shown to be eternal. He is the great I am always existed, always will. You can count on him. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, he tells the apostle John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And just a few verses over in Revelation 1 and verses 17 through 18, he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. Hebrews 13, 8 will say it like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. For you see, God doesn't have to learn. He doesn't have to. Jesus is the same. We're always learning, okay? If you're not learning, you're done, okay? How about that for some Arkansas theology right there? If you're not learning, you're dead. We all are learning every day. We're not the same person that we were last week because we're synthesizing, we're processing things. We look back on our younger selves and we say, oh, if I only knew, if I only knew. Uh, you know, I've had my dad come here and preach one time for our men and people said, why won't you have him come and preach more? And I said, he knows too much about me. And I'm not, I called him the other day. I said, Dad, I just got out of the house just for a little bit. I love my boy. Tell me so I can be a better father. What was it like to raise me? He said, you're raising Bo. I said, yes. He said, that's what it was like to raise you. <laughs> you see, I'm not the same person that I was, but God, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's why his rules never change. People say, can't the Bible just come into the 21st century? Can't you just accept the things we've come to accept? Listen, 
Do you think it was a surprise to God when he made his laws, when he established them and gave them to his people? Do you think he had no idea what was coming in 2021 in America? Do you think that somehow we have some wisdom and knowledge that he does not have? No, no. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That Jesus, that Jesus who came for us has always existed. Why does this matter? Let me tell you why. Your view of the gospel will never be bigger than your view of Jesus. Ever. Ever. Your view of the gospel. Let me tell you, write this down. You better think about this this week. Your view of the gospel will never be bigger than your view of Jesus. Now, you could, I mean, you can make the gospel, you could try to make the gospel about anything else you want to make it about. But listen, when we look to Jesus, we can understand that he is so much more than it meets our eye when we first see him. And here, at the very beginning of the gospel of John, we are reminded that not only is he the very word of God, but he has always existed and will always exist. That's the power of our God, which brings us to our third point. Let's look at his power that we see in verses 3 through 4. What we're going to read in verses 3 through 4 will give credence to all of the miracles that he will do in the gospel of John throughout his life. It will give us a platform to understand all of these miracles. Verse 3, all things were made through him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 3, we learn that Jesus was a part of creation. Again, he did not just begin when, when uh, uh, Mary was found to be with child. He did not just begin to be during those times. He's always existed. And did you know Jesus was as much a part of creation as the rest of the Trinity? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit designing and speaking this world into existence. The only reason that you're here today is because Jesus spoke you into existence. It's because Jesus graciously created us. He was very much active in the creation process of the universe. And you know what this reaffirms to us is that Jesus is not a God. Jesus is the God. He is. It's, it's hard to understand, and our minds will never fully understand it. But we can understand God is a triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all the same, and yet they're different. And how do I explain that? I don't. But I say how beautiful and wonderful that is. Jesus is the God. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus affirmed this. He said, I and the Father are one. One of the many statements like that are the reason that the Jews wanted to have him taken and crucified. He made himself one with God. People will say that Jesus didn't claim to be divine, but he did all the time in the New Testament. It's amazing if you look, you'll see that Jesus claimed to be God's only son. He claimed to be divine. Hebrews 1 and verses 3 through 4 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
and having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here we are learning that Jesus is not just some prophet. He's not just some good teacher. He is God. As we learned last week, he is who he says he is. His power, we read, continues in verse 4. In him was life. Life. The Greek word for life is used 260 times in the New Testament. 260 times. 36 of those times is in this gospel. That is more than double any other book in the New Testament. John was very concerned with us understanding that Jesus came to give life, that Jesus is the sole author and possessor of life, and that he can give it to whom he wants, to whom he wills. The, though we, mankind, are dead in our sins, we're walking around, we seem to be alive, mankind is born dead in our sin, separated from God. The only life that is to be had is to be received from Jesus. He's, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter will be preaching and he'll tell to those who sent Jesus off to the cross, he says, you killed the author of life. You see, when we look to Jesus here, as he's being called to center court, we can see his majesty, his power. How many of you, like me, you've stood over a loved one who's passed away and you've thought, oh, if I could give my life for theirs, I would. I wished I could do something about it, but we don't have that power. God does. Jesus does. He is the author of life. He is the only one who can give life. Life comes through him. He proved that for us in that he laid down his own life because he was the only one who could take it back up again. Think about this. Let me let you chew on this for a little bit. Jesus was the perfect one and only son of God. He, if, he had, uh, if he had not surrendered his life to the Father on the cross, he could have hung there forever and ever and ever. Why? It wasn't until he surrendered his life, gave it up, that it left. And then on the third day, he was the only one who could take it back up again. Jesus is the author of life. Look at his power. He provides that. He gives that. He wants to give it to you. Those who are listening here today who have yet to really trust and believe in Jesus, he wants to give you life, abundant life, overflowing life. Those of you who are believers, who are content with the passions of this world who are not content to look upon Jesus. He wants to give you life because he is the only one who has it. He's the only one who can provide you that joy and that hope through life. But then John continues, in him was life and the life was the light of men. I don't like being in the dark, figuratively or literally. I like light on in my house even at nighttime so I can see when I wake up at night where my children laid their Legos. If there's no light on, then there is extreme hazard in my house. And so I used to say that if burglars came over, that would stop them, but not unless they were barefoot, okay? So, but walking through our house at night is dangerous because you don't know where the Legos are, where the last toy was put as we scrambled off to bed. Uh, but you have that light on, 
and you can, you can see. Just a little bit of, it's amazing. Just a little bit of light will do it. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Isaiah, when he prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Amazing. Jesus is the light. You know, a lot of people say education is the answer to the problems of our world. Hey, listen, I'm so thankful for education. I'm so thankful for our educators and administrators who right now are in a backwards world doing every they, everything they can to train students to to learn so that they can be successful in life. But let me tell you, education, while it's important, it is not sufficient. My good friend Kathy Duncan told me that this morning. Education is important, it is essential, but it's not sufficient. If we had everyone, everyone was educated in this world, some of the most educated people in the world have done some of the most cruel things. Education is not the answer. Mankind's reason is not the answer. A shared morality that is not based on God is not the answer. Why? Because Jesus alone is the light. Every other person masquerading around, every other philosophy, every other worldview that parades around offering light is offering darkness. But you can't tell because you're still in the dark. And those who are in the dark can't tell what is different unless the light is shown upon them. Verse 5, his victory. I got one more point. I'm going to take my seat. One more point. Verse 5, the word says, the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. You see, light dispels darkness. If I were to take blackout curtains and I were to blackout all the windows in this room and I were, to, I were to put a piece of black tape over every emergency light that were in this room, I would turn off every light in this room and just to put us in complete darkness. Somehow, some way, a light would pierce through somewhere and it would undo everything I tried to do by making it dark. That's what light does, by the way. Light dispels darkness. You shine light and darkness flees. Just a little bit of light is all that it takes to make darkness run away. You've never shown a flashlight in a dark room and in the center of that flashlight on the wall has just been a dark spot that you can't see anything in. No. Why? Why? Because when light shines, darkness flees. It leaves. And I love the tense of these verbs in the Greek. Because when we read this in the Greek, when we read that the light shines in the darkness, that, that word shines is written in the present tense. The light shines. It means that it was shining back when Jesus was on this earth. And when Jesus died, the light was still shining, though it seemed to be extinguished. And when Jesus rose again, the light was still shining. And in 2021, right now, the light is still shining. The light shines in the darkness. But when we read the next verb here, when we read that the darkness has not overcome it, it's written in the aorist tense. And the image that I get when I read this is 
Darkness did everything it could to overcome the light, but it failed. Darkness did everything within its mind. I can imagine Satan with all of his demons gathering together and saying, this is our time. We've read about it. We've understood just a little bit through the prophets and what we've understood. What Jesus is just coming. We're going to destroy everything that he does. First plan of attack, we're going to get Joseph to murder Mary or have her quietly put away. We're going, to have, uh, we're going to have this all messed up. And then Gabriel showed up and said, no, Joseph, don't be afraid of taking Mary as your wife. What's in her is the very son of God. Take her to be your wife. And then the enemy planned and schemed. And after Jesus' baptism, Satan said, I've got this one, boys. And he pulled Jesus off to the side and he tempted him. And at every turn that Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan failed. And then there on that cross, we got him right where we want him. Look at him. All that we can provide, all the death that we've learned how to provide over all of the years of torturing and tormenting mankind, we're going to pour all of it on him. We're going to drain every last ounce of blood that he has outside of him, and we'll do it through thorns in his head, and we'll do it through whips on his back, Then we're going to pull out the hair from his beard. And we're going to make him with whatever strength he can do. We're going to make him walk up that mountain called Mount Calvary. And then we're going to nail him to a cross. We're going to paralyze the Son of God. And there he will die. But guess what? Darkness had forgotten that light always overcame. And just as they began to celebrate, Jesus conquered death for all of mankind. Just as they began to celebrate, when Jesus rose from that grave, he declared that death has no hold on God's people. You see, from the very beginning here, we're told of his victory. Jesus is brought out center court. Like the 96 Chicago Bulls. But you know, in 96, people stood to their feet and cheered and were ecstatic. But when Jesus came, people were silent. Even today, at the reading of this glory of Jesus, people sit, waiting to be impressed. Impress me. What have you got? But you see, Darkness loves darkness and not the light. Brothers and sisters, what are you looking to in your life? Can I just suggest to you, can I proclaim to you that Jesus is more than enough? What problems are you going through? Are you looking to Jesus today? Do you have your eyes set upon him? Have you fixed your eyes upon him? Does it have to do with your work, with your family, with your self-worth? Does it have to do with things going on in your life economically, politically, socially? Look to Jesus. Because as we learn in verses 1 through 5, just the tip of the iceberg, he's more than enough. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m., as well as streaming live on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 11 a.m. 
We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.